Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Okay, so according to a pastor and author, John Ortberg, a fictitious manual for the Peace Corps volunteer headed for South America, he offers advice on how to handle a chance encounter, check this out, with an anaconda, right? Y'all know the anaconda, right? It's a large type of boa constrictor. I was like, ah, you're going, Pastor, I saw the movie. Okay, you guys going to get the idea. So he writes this fictitious, um, just this manual, right? And he says, in this manual, there's a list of instructions under the heading, what to do if attacked by an anaconda, okay? So he gives 10 things what to do if you're attacked by an anaconda. So I thought they'd be interesting. Number one, if you're attacked by an anaconda, okay? Number one, if an anaconda attacks you, do not run, okay? The snake is faster than you are, right? So that's the very first thing. If you're attacked by an anaconda, do not run. Number two, you ready? And you don't have to jot this down, but just keep this in mind. It says, lie flat on the ground. Lie flat on the ground. Number three, put your arms tight by your sides and your legs tight against one another. Number four, the snake will begin to climb over your body. Number five, don't panic. Number six, the snake will begin to swallow you from the feet end. And number seven, step six will take a long time. Number eight, after a while, slowly with a little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the snake's mouth then suddenly sever the snake's head. Number nine, be sure your knife is sharp. Number 10, be sure you have a knife. Now, John Ortberg quotes these humorous instruction, but to make a serious point, you go, what are they? Quote, you never really know what curves life will throw at you. What's lurking behind the corner? But when you are called, and you will be called, you will need to know what to do. If you wait until a crisis hits, he writes, because it will hit, you have waited too long. You need to be prepared first. Once you have been prepared, plan, then it's time to do something about it. You go, what was that all about? All he's writing humorously is that we need to have a a prepared plan for whenever life hits, crisis, whatever's around the corner, we should have a prepared plan. Everybody with me? As we come to Psalm 42, we will tonight be reminded of the prepared plan that God has for each one of us when we're under attack, when we're under attack. Now, if you're taking notes, Here's what I want you to jot down. Psalm 42 and 43 were written at the same time, and they really comprise one psalm. So if you're looking at your Bible, Psalm 43 and 42, they're one psalm. Okay, you go, okay, I get it. And although, here's what I want you to understand, although the writer 
um, of this psalm is not named, okay, most people that I looked at believe that David is to be the author. So what I'm going to do tonight, just for the sake of our study, is I'm just going to reference that David wrote this, okay? David wrote this, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. Most people believe that David is the author, and if so, David probably penned this psalm during the period of Absalom's rebellion, okay? During the time that he endured oppression from his enemies and rumors that God had forsaken him and that there was no deliverance from God. The psalm, really, think about it, guys, it depicts the struggle that many of us experience when we are in the midst of being attacked by our enemy. Folks, here's what I want you to say. Listen, we are in the battle for our very souls. And our battle is against that sleazy anaconda we know as Satan. That's where the battle is, right? And if you know how it feels to lose something, then you know how it feels to have Satan try to again and again to rip out your heart, your mind, and your soul. His greatest pleasure is to destroy you and destroy me. Unfortunately, most of us don't realize that Satan is alive and active and he seeks to destroy us. You go, well, can you illustrate that? Guys, think about this. As a pastor and pastors, we're privileged to be with people when they go through hard times. Now you say, why are you privileged? Well, a lot of people go, man, what a hard job, man. These people are going through a hard time. Well, we are called by God to walk with people through these hard times. Now, it's not only pastors because... Because, guys, listen, we are called to do life with everyone. We're called to do life with the body of Christ, okay? If we waited for pastors, we'd be waiting all day long. What God does is he equips every one of you with an amazing gift so that you can help people walk in life. But as a pastor, there are times in our lives that we get to, we get to like walk with people through some of the darkest times of their lives, we represent Jesus to a lot of people in those dark times. Well, you go, well, like what? Well, there are times when there is the loss of a loved one. And they'll usually call the pastor and they'll say, hey, listen, can you come up to the hospital? This has happened and I have been, and I use the word privilege because it is a privilege for me to be part of your family at one of your darkest hours. But they'll say, Can you be with us? And it's one of the hardest times. Guys, when that happens, we need to understand, and it's funny because because we'll we'll tell couples this, we'll tell people that are going through this. I was privileged one time to be called to the hospital. It was about 11 o'clock at night. And um, this whole family was gathered around the bed, and Mama, who was pretty pretty old, was going to be with the Lord, and and Daddy was sitting there holding her hand and crying, and they had been married so so long, and I got to be there, and I got to pray, and I got to read the Bible. But the one thing that we need to understand is during these times, you know what I'm talking about? Those hard times, right? Here's what you need to understand: it boggles the mind, but. We understand that Satan doesn't back off during those times. He never does. 
You know, he never looks at your life when you're going through the darkest time in your life and say, oh, okay, you've got it pretty rough right now. As a matter of fact, that little slime continues to attack us. He continues. He never looks at our lives, guys, and says, oh, you're having a bad hair day? Okay, no worries. I'll just, I won't attack you today, guys, when, because you are made in the image of God, the Imago Dei, because you constantly remind him of who God is, and he hates that. And then you step into the realm of being a Christian, being Christ-like, it's on. And when we go through, and anybody go through a dark time? We understand that, right? We know. We, it, it doesn't matter what it is. Here's what I want you to understand. He does not back off. We think, man, how could it get any darker? His goal is to make it darker. We have to understand that. You go, okay, okay, I got it, I got it. And here's the truth that I want you to jot down, guys. Part of living on this earth means we will lose people. And you go, why is that a truth? Because I think sometimes we think, as believers, everything is just going to be so good. Gave my life to Jesus. It's amazing. People, and then when we find out, this really spoke to me because I realized that if I'm going to be a part of this earth that I know we're going to lose people. And I hate it. I hate it, but it's true. You go, well, then what should we do? Well, I know we need our foundation to be in Jesus because of this world. Our foundation needs to be in Jesus. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? If you've ever seen a house, what's the first thing they do? They put up the walls. You're going, no, they don't, Ben. What do they do? They build the foundation because the foundation has to be the very thing that holds up the walls, the roof, everything else that's going to be in it. And our foundation, guys, it has to be in Jesus so that you and I can have hope in this world for tomorrow, for next week. Right? Guys, you've heard me say this many times before, but I want it to sink in, okay? When you gave your life to Jesus, you became public enemy number one to him. Public enemy, right? And what I found interesting is that in, there, in the midst of these attacks, in the midst of all this, here's what I blew my mind. Many people don't even believe that Satan exists, you go, what do you mean? Yeah, there was a study completed by the Christian research group headed by George Barna. And notice what he lists. You ready? He lists these things, okay? Check this out. Did you know that 62% of people believe in Satan only as a symbol of evil? 62%. You're like, okay. Now, here's what blew my mind. You ready? 53% of born-again Christians believe Satan is real. Only 53. 53 out of 100 who are born again, spirit-filled children of God go, oh no, there's no Satan. Only 53 of us go, yes, there is. Doesn't that blow your mind? This is, I mean, I'm like, wow. 
the religious group with the strongest belief in ex- with the strongest belief in the existence of Satan. Sixty four percent of women reject Satan's existence. Fifty nine percent of men reject Satan's existence. And you go, Pastor, what's the point? The point is, there's a lot of people, Christian or non Christian, that don't believe that he exists. He exists. Yes, listen, and yet we are all under attack in our homes and in our lives and in this world. And at times we have to lean heavily upon the word of God. And here's what I believe. David understood and he writes Psalm 42 and 43 so that we have that foundation. You go, he he does? Yeah, here's what I want you to know. In this psalm, we see the psalmist, he's going to go back and forth just like us. From what, Ben? From doubt to faith. Ever been there? Have you ever been like, oh, I don't know, I have doubts. And then you're like, I'm mighty and strong in faith. And, oh, I have doubts. And then you're mighty in faith. And you're like, I can walk on water. Oh, I don't know, I'm doubting it. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's what David does. And this is why I love to hang out with David, because I'm like, I'm exactly like that dude. I go back and forth, and and not only that, but he'll go from despair to hope. Oh, woe is me. Oh, woe is... Oh, wait a minute. Hope in God. Oh, he's full of despair. David is the ultimate pessimist and optimist at the same time. Right? David, yes. Do you see the glasses half empty and half full? Yes. Which one? Yes. Right? Because he's going, I don't know. Some days I'm like, that glass is half full, man. And then other days he's like, look at that, it's going empty. It's half empty. Why are you forsaking me? David is just crazy. He's just crazy, man. You know it, because we're just like him. My prayer, guys, that this evening is this message will help us. And it'll help you. You see, when the enemy attacks, you can go back to this psalm and see what you need to do. See what you need to do. Let me see if I can illustrate my introduction this way. Tradition says the running of the bulls in northeastern Spain during the 14th century. You guys remember that? The running of the bulls, right? And you would think about this. I want you to think about that. That started in the 14th century. And you have to ask the question, why would anyone, anybody want to run down a crowded street with angry bulls chasing them? Right? Would you do that? Would you be like, okay, go? I mean, it, it, it's crazy. The thought of being trampled or gored isn't appealing, even though many people still sign up and do it. Right? We've also, guys, watched wolves, wild dogs, and coyotes attack their prey with their teeth bared and their mouths salivating, they circle the blind side and eventually pounce on their victims. You guys know that. You'll pull up YouTube, you'll say, you know what, lion attacks gazelle, and you'll see that, and, and you'll be like, right, you'll, you'll watch it. I saw one the other day that I was going to put up here, but a gazelle was running, right, a lion got it, this, this gazelle laid dead, a hyena comes up, right? What's really funny is the hyena and the lion start to battle. While that's going on, the gazelle gets up and takes off. 
Now, here's my question. How many of you have seen videos like that? How many of you? Yeah. How many of you, how many, be honest, okay? How many of you root for the gazelle to get away? How many of you root? How many of you don't? The rest of you are sickos. You guys are sick. Wow. Shame on you. The psalmist, guys, the psalmist, guys, um, felt surrounded by his enemies. His words were prophetic of how Jesus would later feel when his enemies eventually called for his death. You see, it was a beautiful Palm Sunday when people were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, right? And they're just having a great time. And just a few days later, what are they yelling? It's not Hosanna anymore, is it? It's crucify, kill him. Hey, you want Jesus? Kill him! Kill him! That's, that's how the psalmist felt. And, and that's a lot how Jesus feels. Listen, when I'm under attack for my faith, a lot of times it's common for me to overreact, right? When you're really attacked, you can feel like you can spew hateful words against those who attack me, promote ungodly lifestyles. I can act as if I'm better than them and walk around with my religious nose up in the air, or I can withdraw like a hermit and refuse to associate with anyone but my own kind. But let me say this, there are better responses when you're under attack. You go, what are they? Well, tonight, let me give you four responses from David when you're under attack. Jot these down, okay? Ready? Number one. I'm going to go slow so you can get this. This is going to help you, okay? Number one, when you're under attack from the enemy, recognize you are in a battle. Recognize you are in a battle, let me give you a subpoint, okay? Let me give you a subpoint. Right under that, I put this. The struggle is real, and yet it's a lie. The struggle is real, and yet it's a lie. So the first thing, what do we need to do? Recognize we're in a battle. Okay, you ready? Number two, stop listening to yourself. Stop listening to yourself. You're like, okay. How about number three? Well, this is kind of a little oxymoron, okay? If number two is stop listening to yourself, jot this down. Number three, start talking to yourself the right way. Number two, stop listening to yourself. Number three, start talking to yourself the right way. And then number four, go directly to God. Go directly to God. Let me go those one more time just so you know. Number one, recognize you're in a battle. The battle is real, yet it's a lie. Number two, stop listening to yourself. I'm going to show you all of this in Scripture. Number three, start talking to yourself the right way. And number four, go directly to 
God. Go directly to God. That's what David, this is going to help us, okay? So when we're under attack, now you go, Ben, Ben, Ben. Psalm 42, what do you mean we're under attack? Well, let's jump in and let's read it. You guys there? Look at Psalm 42, verse 1. David writes, and as he is fleeing, right? Absalom, his own flesh and blood, is trying to take over. He's got this hostile takeover of the throne. You know that he has been sitting at the gate saying, if I were king, I would do this. Next thing you know, David is leaving and he writes this psalm. He says in verse 1, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God, when shall I come up and appear before God? Everybody see that? Verses 1 and 2. Okay? David is writing as he is being ousted from his own son. As the deer pants for the water brooks, David says, My soul pants after you. Now, This means nothing to you and me unless we fully understand what's going on here, right? You go, well, Ben, 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 wasn't there a song? Wasn't there a song, right? Josh, was there a song written in 1984, right? As the Deer? You guys know, anybody remember that song? Just one or two people, really? Yeah, you know, I've never heard that song before. Uh, help me, guys. As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you. Do you remember that one? Do you remember about Bob? you remember that one? Bob. Ah, oh, Bob doesn't remember. Before, 1984, guys. 1984, Martin Nystrom wrote this beautiful song. And isn't it a great song, right? This song is so amazing. It paints a beautiful picture of us in a long drought of soul longing after God. Ah, ah, God, as the deer, that's how I am. You guys with me? That's a beautiful song, isn't it? We love that song. But I want to draw your attention to something very interesting. You go, what's that? Well, it's the third word there. You go, what's that? It says, as the deer. As the deer. Everybody see that? Turn to your neighbor and say, deer. Got it? Deer. Why? Why is that important? Because the song doesn't do it justice for what really is going on here. Because if you ever study deer, and I don't mean just hunt them, okay? I mean, really study deer, you're going to find something amazing. You know, what's that? Did you know that deer never pants like a dog does? They never do. They will never, if you, if you raise deer, if you ever have deer, if you ever see deer, they will never come into your backyard like your dog and just go, <laughs> they won't do that. Okay? You go, so, so, so what happens? Listen, this is gonna, this is gonna intrigue you. The only time a deer pants for the water is when he's under attack. 
Did you know the only time a deer will pant for water is when he's being chased by his enemy? That's the only time when he's being chased. And did you know a deer will use up to 80% of his water resources when running from an enemy? This is the picture, okay? This is the picture. As a matter of fact, if the lion continues to chase the deer, he could chase that deer until he runs out of water and he could chase that deer to death. That's the only time a deer will pant. Now, when they get away, whether they play dead, whether they they somehow break through the brush, whatever it is, when the deer gets the way, the very first thing they do is they look for water. That's the very first thing. They may be wounded and bleeding, and their goal is to find water. If they don't find water, they're going to what? Help me, church. They're going to die. They're going to die. That's how deer is, right? So how does this help me? Okay, now listen. If a deer being chased by a lion or whatever enemy it is, they begin to run and run and run, and then when they stop, <laughs> their main goal is to find water. How does that help you? Jot this down. Ready? This is going to help you. Put it in your Bible somewhere. God is the water we should seek when we're under attack. God should be that water that we long for when we're being attacked as well. Notice what David says. Let's go back real quick, guys. Look at verse 1 again. He says, as the deer pants for the water brooks, we know that he's under attack. He's looking for water. He knows that the enemy is hot on his tail. He's used up to 80% of all his water, and all he can do is pat just enough to stay cool, but I've got to find water. Don't you understand? The only reason I'm panting is because I'm under attack. David says, so my soul, my soul, so pants my soul for you. I think it's safe to say that David was under attack. And he's saying the very same. He goes, I know about deer. And as that deer pants for the water, that's how I feel. Only I'm not looking for water. I'm not looking for the river brooks. He says, my soul is longing for you, oh God. My soul is looking for you. My soul thirsts for the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? We understand tonight, guys, that this psalm that David writes when he feels like he's being super attacked by his enemy. And then he's going to tell us what we should do. He goes, what should we do? Point number one, you've written these down already. You can jot this. It's going to be found in verse three. Recognize, recognize, recognize you are in a battle. You are in a battle. Let me say this to you. You are not just having a bad day. There's times when we have bad days and there are times when you are straight up being attacked by the enemy. Okay? Now, listen. 
If you drive through a construction site and you run over a nail and you get a flat tire on your way to church, that is not an attack. That's not an attack. That's you running over a nail. It happens. It doesn't even have to be through a construction site. There are times I go, how did I get a nail in here? Because there's nails all over the concrete. That's not an attack. You guys know what I'm talking about? That's a bad day. What David is trying to tell us, everyday life to help us, is that when we realize we're under tax, where do tax come from? They usually come, here's where attacks come from. You're usually what? You're usually blindsided by them. You know, you're blindsided, right? The problem with the blindsided is you can't see it coming. There you are, and you're doing your thing, and, and, and all of a sudden, boom, somewhere out of the blue, you're being attacked. David says, you need to recognize that you're in a battle. Here's what I want you to realize. The battle is real, and the enemy is pursuing you. Look at verse 3. David says this, My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Now, let's, let's, let's put ourselves in David's sandals, okay, everybody? Let's put ourselves in David's sandals, okay? What is he writing in verse 3? This verse tells of an intense grief and sorrow that the psalmist felt. David's just not going, you know, I saw a deer and he was just, and I thought, oh, that'd be cute to write. And then in 1984, they'll do a song and you'll all be blessed. He's going, man, I saw this. And he says, And he feels this intense grief. Now, let me ask you a question. In your mind, have you ever felt that intense grief and sorrow that he's felt? Why? Here's what he's saying. I had no appetite. You ever feel where you can't eat? Number two, he says, I wept day and night. He says, my tears were my constant companion. See, David experienced the frustration brought on by the taunts of his enemies. What were he saying? What were they saying? What were they saying? Right? Guess what they said? His enemies were looking at David saying, where's your God? You're supposed to be, where's your God? I thought you're supposed to be a Christian. Where's your God? And David's like, I can't eat. And I can't sleep. And I mean, think about this, guys. I mean, we've there all of us in this room have probably cried, right? At one point or another. But I don't know if we can say tears were my constant companion. Tears were my constant companion. Yes, you have. Because the other day you said, I don't know what happened to me, Pastor. I would never cried, and now all I do is cry. Anyway, that was we'll take that off the tape. It won't be on the radio. Guys, we see David say, my tears have been my food, and an I am living at Bummer City. I am super bummed. So, everybody see that? So the question we've got to ask, you ready? Let's ask this question. David, what are you bummed about? What are you bummed about, David? Wouldn't that, isn't that a fair question? 
David, I mean, think about it. If, if, you, if you got a text from your friend that said, my tears have been my food day and night while continually saying to me, where is your God, right? While they, we would have to ask, David, what's the problem? Why are you bummed? Well, here's the answer, right? Is he bummed because he's not able to be king anymore? I'm so bummed because I used to be king. And I'm not the king anymore. And people are not going to like me. And or Is he bummed that he's leaving the mansion, right? Leaving all of that, all the perks of being a king. I mean, all the good food and all the great wine. Is he bummed about that? You know what he's bummed about, guys? You know why this hurts so much? He's, he's super bummed because he had to leave the temple and the worship of God. See, later in verse 4, the latter part, David says, I used to go with the multitude. I went to them to the house of God with the voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a pilgrim's feast. You know what David said? I used to come to church. That was my favorite part of life. That was all of me. I used to worship God. As a matter of fact, before I was king, I was out in the field and I would look up in the stars and I would play and I would worship God. And those were the best times in my life. Those were the best times I felt so close to God. As a matter of fact, I played so well that they brought me in to soothe the evil spirit from King Saul. I used to play. He got a little crazy and started throwing spears at me. But I mean, nonetheless, I used to try to calm him down. But David understands worship. He understands worship, and he understands the worship of God, and he's bummed because he can't do that anymore. He can't do that anymore. He says, I mean, look at look what he says. He says, I'm, I have no appetite, and, and I'm weeping day and night, and tears and frustration and my enemies and notice what my enemies are saying do you guys see that look at it says while they continues who are they right you ever know that you ever ask who are they right somebody will come up to you and go you know what they said this this and this who are they i mean who who are they really talking about well here's the thing david is going to give us the answer okay David is going to give us the they, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to jump, jump over just a little bit down the text to verses 9 and 10, okay? Because we need to know who the they are. Verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 42, he says, I will say to God my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Look at verse 10. And with a breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me, while they... Say to me all the day long, where's your God? So the they that he's talking about are his enemies. That's who they are. David goes, listen, and and what are they saying? Here's their reproach. Where is your God? Where is your God? Where is your God? You ever, do we ever feel that, right? Our enemies taunting us. You're supposed to be a Christian. Where's God now? This bad happened to you. That bad happened to you. Your loved one was this. Where's your God? Where's your God? And how many of us at that time feel like we have to defend who God is? Well, let me tell you. And that's what they do. They get us thinking in a mindset and our enemies come in and go, where's your God? Listen, 
And here's what they say. Let's be honest, okay? They say, if God was really God, he wouldn't allow this to happen or this to happen or that to happen. If God really loved you, they throw that in there. If God really loved you, then you, you wouldn't be going through what you're going through. Where's your God now? And David's going, those are my enemies. Those are my enemies. I'll tell you where God is. Well, where is your God, man? And then you feel so low because you're in the midst of an attack, right? Because David is going, listen, all I did is want to serve the Lord. And now my son Absalom has just risen up. And now I'm on the run. and, And I'm just totally stressed. Not because I want to be king. I don't care about superficial. I don't care about things like that. What I do care about is the worship of the Lord. That's what I really care about. And that's what I miss. And I want to go back to the temple and I want to hang out with you all. I want to worship with you. And I love you because you're my family. And he says, with the multitude, we just want to worship. And when I come in, part of worship is not just singing. Part of worship is saying, hey, how are you? God bless you. How's your week been? And we do family. Part of worship is knowing that we're a family together and we're all walking in the same direction. That's what worship is. Worship is when we can pray. How are you doing? Can I pray with you? Oh, please pray for me. Pray for me and my family. That's part of worship. Part of worship is going, man, listen, Pat, look at this text I found. Man, that really spoke to me. That was so amazing. And we go, wow, that's cool. God hasn't spoken to me, but praise God for you. That's amazing. All of this, David is bummed about. And he's saying, my enemies are saying, man, I thought you were a believer. I thought you were something. So the first thing we need to recognize in this psalm is that we're in a real battle. Now, keep this in mind. When you're in a battle, the enemy of your soul will often produce evidence, even false evidence, to back up what he's saying. You go, what? When you're in a real battle, the enemy will produce false evidence to back up what he's saying. You go, well, give me some examples. I'm glad you asked. Let me give you the first example. Ready? When you are in a super bummed, worst day of your life attack, that's when the enemy fires his fiery darts into your mind. You go, what do you mean? The enemy often comes with this evidence, false evidence. Well, you wouldn't be in this position if you would have done this, 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 or why didn't you do that? Or why didn't you say, listen, this is what you said. These are the words you used, right? Or they come back and say, maybe this is, you're, you're exactly this because this is how you looked at them. Or they felt ignored or they felt shunned. And so he'll often, through fiery darts, try to produce false evidence of what you did and didn't do. Am I right? You ever get that phone call? Some of us do, some of us don't. You ever get that phone call when somebody says, hey, I just need to talk to you, but they won't tell you what they want to talk to you about? Oftentimes you're like, what did I say? What did I do? Huh. And the enemy's going, see? I t- remember, see? You remember that day? Do you remember that day when you just, you look cross-eyed at them? You remember? Now, they're, now they, you've offended them, and they want to talk to you about that. He'll use that. But, but let me give you example number two. Okay? All that's false evidence. Why? Here's what you need to understand. We are not perfect people. And so when the enemy says, 
man, you did this and you didn't do that. You looked at it. You said that? Man, don't you have any grace? You did this. You just go, man, listen, I'm not perfect. That's false evidence. But let me give you another one, okay? Guys, do you remember back in the Old Testament, Jacob's 12 boys? Do you guys remember what they did to Joseph? Right? Joseph comes up and he's like, hey, guys, what's up? Hey, listen, I had this dream. You all bowing down to me. That's how it's going to be, right? And he's being ignorant, or not ignorant, but he's being arrogant. And he's going, what? listen. And so his brothers go, what do they do? They threw him in the pit. Do you remember that? And when they threw him in the pit, Reuben's coming back. And he's like, nah, let's not throw him in a pit. Why waste him? Let's sell him to the, to the traveling Midianites. That's it. So they sell him. But what do they do? They take his coat and they rip it in shreds and they dip it in blood and they go back to his father and say, look, father, this is your son's coat. Who? Right? And what what does Jacob do? That's not what happened, right? But the enemy uses as what? False evidence. False evidence, guys. False evidence to back up his lie. To back up his lie. He will often use false evidence to back up his lie. You go, Ben, what should we do when we're in the midst of the attack? Remain faithful. Can I get an amen? And continue to be obedient to the word of God. Obedience is key. You go, okay, obedience, explain obedience to me. Well, I heard a story I'd like to share with you real quick. Over uh, the 2011 4th of July weekend, a group of motorcyclists gathered in Ondenaga, New York, to ride in a protest against New York state law that requires motorcycle riders to wear a helmet. One of these riders was in the protest was a 55-year-old man from Parrish, New York, and during the ride, police say his 1983 Harley-Davidson spun out of control. He flew headfirst over the handlebars. His head struck the pavement. His skull was fractured. He was pronounced dead at the hospital. The police and the doctors treated the man said afterward that had he been wearing a helmet, he probably would have survived the accident. The group organizing the protest ride said that while they encouraged the voluntary use of their motorcycle helmets, they oppose mandatory helmet laws. Whatever the case, for or against laws concerning motorcycle helmets, you cannot miss the irony of this accidental death. The man died protesting a law. If he had obeyed it, would have saved his life. You see, it's obedience. It's obedience. Okay, point number one. What is it? The battle what? Recognize? Yeah, you're like, oh, no, no. you wrote it down. Point number one. Okay, number two. You ready? Stop what? Listening to yourself. Stop listening to yourself. Okay, look at verse 4. He says, when I remember these things, okay, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude 
And I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with the multitude that kept a pilgrim's feast. Right? Do you guys see what David's doing here? Right? He keeps remembering and he keeps listening. He keeps talking to himself. He keeps listening. The problem is it's not helping. He's, I mean, look what he says. He says, golly, man, when I used to remember, right? We, we say it like this. Y'all remember the good old days? You remember the good old days? Was there ever really good old days? You know, I mean, that's, that's the thing. He keeps remembering and he's like, and when I remember these things, he says, I pour out my soul within me. He's, he, he's talking to himself. The problem is, guys, it's not helping. Listen, when you are depressed, don't try to cheer yourself up. You know what I'm saying? When you're bummed out, when you're depressed, don't try to cheer yourself up. See, the more David thinks about God and the worship and the temple and family, the more he gets depressed. The more he gets depressed. And you go, well, Ben, listen, how does this happen? Well, guys, when we experience the agony of the present, right? Notice the phrase, I pour out my soul within me. As we recall the ecstasy of the past as he was involved with others in the joyful worship of God. That's how a lot of depression happens. I remember how it used to be, and today that's not happening. And 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 we listen to ourselves. We listen. David reflected as he's on the run on happy scenes from his past. He must be encouraged to continue to hope in God for the present. Now, again, again, think about this. He's listening. Oh, I can't believe this. What what night is it? Oh, it's Tuesday night. We would be going to church tonight. Am I going to go back to church? I miss the people. I miss communion and when we are depressed guys sometimes we we look at our present circumstances in light of what our past might have been light of some good things and we just go what's the third thing we should do start talking to yourself the right way Okay, stop listening, start talking. Look at verse five. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for yet I shall praise him for the help of his countenance. Notice what he does. He asks two very important questions, right? Then he talks to himself in a positive way. What's the question he asks? He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Right? That's a good question to ask. Why am I such why am I such why am I so bummed? Why am I so bummed? Why why am I just so depressed? You go, what does it mean? To be cast down means to be depressed, to sink under the weight of sorrow. Life is so hard, you're sitting going and you have to ask that question. Why why am I really bummed like this? Why am I really bummed like this? Now, if you're taking notes, David asked this question four times. 
He asks it in verse 5, in verse 6, verse 11, and then over in 43, verse 5. He asks the same question. Why are you so downcast? Now, let me ask you a question, church. Have you ever asked yourself that? Things that may not be perfect in your life, things may not be going like you hoped, but then you go, why am I so bummed? Why am I feeling so depressed? I've got a good life. I've got... David asked that question. I think it's a good question to ask. And then then the second question, he says, why are you disquieted within me? This suggests, guys, that he had an agitated and troubled mind. David was constantly, constantly, constantly thinking. And he's like, why are you just, why are you not quiet? Why are you screaming at me, mind? Well, here, here are the right things we need to communicate to our very own hearts. Ready? Number one, he says, hope in God. For I shall praise him for the help of his continents. Who, who, help in where? Who, what, what? He says, my hope is in God. Notice, too, he says, I will remember you, Lord, from the distant of Mount Hermon to the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar. I hear the tumult of the raging seas of your waves, surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night I sing his song, praising to God who gives me life. Who gives me life. Listen, here's what he realized right here. He realized that he didn't need to be in the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. He says, I could worship him right where I'm at. I could worship him. And then he just sings and he prays and he sings and he prays. How about this one? He says, number three, hope in God, for I shall, what? Yet praise him, the help of my continents, my God. Number four, hope in God, for I shall praise him, the help of the continents, and my God. Guys, David says the right things. He communicates to his heart. What's he communicating? What are the first words? His hope is in God. That's what he says. He said, things are going to be all right. Things are going to be all right. Pastor Pancho Waters used to say this. My wife loved me. My kids love me. My God loves me. The rest I don't need to worry about. I can go to sleep knowing my God loves me. My wife loves me. My family loves me. Amen. That's what he's saying. What are you speaking to yourself? Are you telling yourself the right things? Or are you communicating things that move you from a right heart with God to a bummer city Look at my life. I didn't think I'd be here right now. What are you saying? Well, things will never get better. Things will never get better. Oh, woe is me. This is my lot in life. This is just how it is. I remember. I remember. We need to speak the right things. Our hope is in God. And our God loves us. And our God died for us. And our God gives us what? He doesn't make us victim. He makes us victors. And, and God is just, he's just so amazing, guys. And that he loves you. And, and, and he loves you because you're in his image. And, and he loves you because, and he says, all the hope is in you. It's perspective. How do you see life? That's what David, David says, okay, listen, okay. I understand. I need to stop listening to myself. I need to start saying the right things. He says, I will, here, here, no matter what happens, I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you. Number four, 
Go directly to God. Go directly to God. Psalm 43, the psalmist's mood changes in one, of, in one of confidence and trust. You can see he'll get to Psalm 43 and he's like, I praise the Lord. And here's what I want you to see. It's imperative to go directly to God. When you're under attack, where should you go? To God. Wait, wait, let me say this again. When you know you're being attacked, where should you go? To God. To God. God, I'm under attack. This is what's going on. You're my water. You're my source. You're my source. Guys, let's close with this as we move into communion. Many are feeling attacked by the enemy. Some being lied on. Some may feel the enemy is literally chasing them. It may seem like those who are against and full of pride are winning, but fear not. Fear not. God is on the throne. Okay? So what do we do? Okay, we're under attack. As the deer, right? We're under attack. The first thing we go, okay, this is a battle. It's real, but it's a lie. He's going to lie to me. He's going to produce false evidence, but it's real. I get it. Okay, battle ready. And then the, the second thing, stop listening to what you're saying. Stop listening to yourself. Okay? Oh, woe is me, how things used to be. It's not how things used to be anymore, guys. You have a, you have what? A rear view mirror that's this big because you're really not supposed to look back and you have a windshield this big because God wants you to look forward. What does God want to do with us in the next five years? What does God want to do with us in the next year? Man, he, he's bringing us guys. We're not going to waste that chance. Third thing, what is that? Start talking to yourself the right way. You're a, vic- you're a victor. You're victoriously. God's going to use you. Your, your best days are ahead of you. That's what my wife says. How do I know my best days are not ahead of me? You do know because God's there. And number four, when I'm being attacked, I go directly to God. I think the pastors are amazing in this church. And we'll go to the pastors when we need some encouragement, when we need some confirmation about something. But when I'm under attack, I'm not going to a pastor. I'm going straight to God. When the devil comes knocking at your door, I want God to answer it. Go direct God. Listen, there he is. Let him. I I don't want anything to do with that. I'm going to come over here. I'm going to serve you because there's just people that still need to be saved. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth in your word. And Father, as we move into communion, this is our time to celebrate, Lord, with you. Lord, it's communion is a celebration, God. It's it's us looking forward and proclaiming your death, your burial, and your resurrection. Father, we just had... Uh, Easter Sunday, it was glorious, but today we have that intimate time, God, in communion of just saying, I love you. I love you. So God, today, as we worship you, meet us right where we're at, in Jesus' name. Amen. I know most of you know how this works. Josh is going to lead us in song. When you're ready... Your heart is right. Come on up. Grab the elements. Pray. Give glory to God. Guys, what you're saying by taking this communion tonight is you're saying, I believe in the death, 
burial, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I know one day we're going to do it again, but we're going to do it with him in heaven. This is simply a sign of what's to come. But we do it, and he says, and when you do it, do it in remembrance of me. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.